Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. And uh, we're in our uh, fourth chapter here of uh, trying to overcome uh, all of our ideas about evil by figuring out, well, what about evil just in totality and figuring out, do Christians not only have a defensive position, but also an offensive position? Why is there evil in the world? Is it possible to believe in both God and evil? Mm. And so that's uh, um, kind of where we're starting now. Yeah. We've, we've kind of covered our definitions. Well, it's, it's definitely possible to believe in evil. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So we kind of covered a little bit with that last time. So even we, we've even granted uh, secularists, uh, people who don't believe in God, the ability to recognize evil and from our worldview, from the Christian worldview, we say that it is possible for them to know because they're created in the image of God. So right. by assuming our position, we al- allow uh, for that understanding. And so we have an explanation for why people can call out things like um, uh, bad people in the church are evil when they abuse people as a good thing, yeah. as, as something to, to say this person is evil. And so both sides can um, al- allow that. Although what our book suggested last time is they have a really difficult problem on their hands in terms of explaining the source of evil or the meaning right. of evil. Right. Right. It's so a from metaphysical their, problem. Right. So like, from their side of the their worldview, they have a hard time with evil, and so we kind of walk through that a little bit. Yeah. Now we're kind of foisting more coals on, on the God side here, and we're trying to <laughs> figure out, um, can we do it? Yeah. Is it possible to have a theodicy? A, a reason for why evil exists in God's world. And so what about evil? A defense of God's uh, sovereign glory by Scott Christensen is where we're starting. And uh, we're on a chapter four here, justifying the ways of God. Mm. So uh, always uh, pretty good. And we'll probably use scripture in some capacity throughout this book. So that's, I'm assuming that's why uh, one of the reasons that we have here. So, so in this chapter, in chapter four, uh, this chapter will examine some of the primary issues involved when seeking to provide answers to the problem of evil. How has the contemporary debate unfolded? What is meant by the problem of evil? And so answering these these primarily uh, primary questions uh, will set the context for examining the most prominent theodicies and offer among uh, Christian thinkers. And so uh, we kind of almost uh, jump right into it and, and talk about uh, some of the main ones uh, for and against. So in, uh, in two chapters that follow, He'll uh, evaluate their strengths and weaknesses. These theodicies coalesce around two basic approaches, and um, they're kind of the bigger ones that uh, you probably, if you've read on the subject, that's the free will defense and the greater good defense. And so uh, throughout, if we mention these, I'll I'll put up the slide right here that you're probably seeing um, that kind of cover the main aspects of those that we covered in the very first uh, chapter there. So, uh, so his first section here is, uh, he calls it the contemporary deba- debate over good and evil. And he says, since 1955, in the publication of the seminal article entitled Evil and Omnipotence by the respected philosopher J.L. Mackey, the problem of evil, he says, has been a uh, mainstay of philosophical discourse, right? So this is one of the issues that philosophy, uh, you know, continues to debate over and, and uh Right. People write papers, book, books, <laughs> right. right, that sort of thing. Right. And he says that uh, the, the, uh, the position, the perspective that uh, Mackey led us to, he says, uh, to deal with in terms of this problem is known as the logical problem of mm-hmm. evil. 
right? So that that uh, that portends, that hints at that there's more than one kind of problem of evil. Right, right. And we'll cover a little bit in, in there as well. Uh, so here's kind of the argument uh, laid out with some of the um, hidden assumptions here that uh, that are fleshed out a bit more that we want to understand because, uh, you know, the the idea that from the premises, the conclusion should follow for mm-hmm. it to be a sound argument. You know, you might disagree with the premises, but if you can really spell out what you want in your in your premise, if if those things uh, lend well to a, a proper argumentation, the therefore should be just assumed to be correct, uh, logically follows. Is right, what we call so we it. say in a well-structured argument, premises give good reasons to believe that the conclusion is true. They support the conclusion. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So the, uh, it could be wrong, the premises, so, uh, you know, it, it's wet outside, or, uh, you know, the, uh, the, therefore is raining is my conclusion. Right. So it could be uh, it's raining outside. If it's raining outside, uh, it, it's... Likely that's it's raining, therefore it's raining. That's what outside, so something along those lines. Well, it could be the sprinklers on, so yeah, yeah. so that could be one of the the kind of the hidden premises there. But um, here's here's um, uh, Mackey's kind of um, uh, laid out argumentation. So uh, the first one is that an omnipotent God can prevent evil. So He's all powerful. Can He prevent evil? An omnibenevolent God, so, so a God that's all good wants to prevent evil. Uh, the third premise is that evil exists. Okay. And this leads to the following conclusion. This leads to the conclusion that therefore either God is not omnipotent. He's not all powerful. He cannot prevent evil or he's not omnibenevolent. He will not prevent evil or he's not all good. And this leads therefore to the final conclusion. Therefore God does not exist. So right. really evil existing is kind of um, a, a key component um, within that that we could probably kind of center that uh, type of argument on, and we can argue about the tops and the bottoms below that. But. Yeah, so, so notice here, this is kind of an attack on the character of God, right? We're looking for we're looking at the, the fact that the, at least the Christian God, the biblical God, is all-powerful, omnipotent, and all-good, omnibenevolent. And um, if he was indeed, if he is all powerful, then, you know, he could prevent evil, right? Uh, if he's uh, all good, he would want to prevent evil, so says the argument. But evil exists. So one of these two, uh, the argument goes, has to be wrong. Either he's not all powerful and so he can't prevent evil, or he's not all good and therefore. You know, he doesn't want to prevent evil, right? Or the third option is the Christian God, the biblical God, doesn't even exist, mm-hmm. right? A God that's like this, all powerful and all good, uh, doesn't exist. So that's that's the idea here. Right? And, and one of the, the good things that this argument does uh, from the other side, from the atheist point of view, is you don't even have to... Um, argue what will probably be a kind of a stick in the mud issue, which is, well, you have to first prove that God exists in order for it to happen. In this argumentation, you're granting, okay, it may be possible that your God exists. Here's still some problems that right. we have with, with that. And so um, this kind of moves the conversation a little bit more forward. It kind of grants the idea, okay, God exists, but here are some components that you say that God has some qualities. Um, therefore, it still doesn't seem like God would exist because of this, or 
is not the God that you're claiming to exist. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, maybe premise uh, two is true and, and premise one is false, we could say. And, and in that case, God sincerely desires to prevent evil, right? He's, he's good, uh, but he simply is not able to, or he lacks the power to prevent or stop evil. Now, notice if this is true, then it would contradict the Christian belief that God has the requisite power to do all that is logically possible for him to do. And there uh, seems to be no logical reason why such a God could not prevent evil. Right. And I just want to focus here real briefly on this idea of God having being all powerful has to do with he's able to do uh, what is logically possible right. for him to do, right? There are some things that even an all-powerful God cannot do, right? In fact, the scripture says he can't lie, right? right? right. So he can't go against his character, his nature, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't do things that are meaningless, like make square circles, yeah. right? <laughs> make a God more powerful than he is. <laughs> yeah, right. like yeah. But, uh, you know, he has the power, according to, uh, you know, this position, to do all that is logically possible for him to do and so this this seems to thwart this particular argument seems to to go against that or at least say that he doesn't exist right ironic that it comes from a rabbi (laughs) rabbi kushner yeah this is the one that kushner used uh in his when bad things happen to good people right he um you know he argued that uh you know god really wants good things to happen but he just He's not strong enough to do yeah. it, right, yeah. kind of thing. He just needs to cross his fingers a little bit more to, to make, it, <laughs> make it out of there. Yeah. All right, so uh, what's what's uh, something else here? So uh, perhaps premise uh, one is true, <clears throat> but while uh, premise two is false. So pre- our premise one is that, uh, okay, there's an om- omnipotent God that can prevent evil, but an omnibenevolent God may not want to prevent evil. Maybe that's what we're talking about here. Well, there are two ways to read this. Well, first, perhaps God is not omnibenevolent. Maybe he's not all-loving. Well, if that's true, then it renders the God of the Bible non-existent, right? right. So that's a, God is love. It's a, it's a, almost an A equals A, not quite, but, yeah. you know, we, we're, we're understanding the type of language that is there. It's the not law a, of identity is, is what right. that one is called. Right. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, he's not only all love, and so you're, you're um, kind of um, not adding... Uh, nothing to the conversation you're you're expressing a qual- quality of that so maybe that's not the, uh, maybe that's the case is that just the god of the bible doesn't exist you're just talking about some other god that can create things and evil just happens to be in this maniacal plan or whatever it might be uh, the second way to read this is uh, to reject the assumption expressed in the second part of the premise too which is although god is all good and abhors all evil we have to ask is it true that he wants to prevent every instance of evil so that's a quite an interesting question that um, philosophers have kind of honed in on, and so we'll um, kind of talk about that uh, here. Yeah. So notice uh, there is an internal inconsistency in in how the premise is stated on this one, right? God being all good may have good reasons for permitting evil, right? So in that case, uh, he doesn't want to prevent evil, right? And so this is where the heart of the response to human Mackey and others uh, has resided. For instance, Ronald Nash clarifies the matter. Most attempts, Nash tells us, to answer the problem of evil are variations of a basic theme, namely this, that God permits evil 
either to make possible some greater good or to avoid some greater evil, right? So notice there's a uh, kind of a hidden assumption here and, you know, if it exists and maybe, uh, you know, he doesn't want to, um, to get rid of it. And, okay, well, so this particular response is, yeah, let's accept that. Maybe he doesn't, mm-hmm. right? And if that's the case, then maybe he has a greater good that he's accomplishing through the evil or he's avoiding some even greater evil, right, uh, that he's accomplished. And so he allows this particular evil. Right? Well, one of the, uh, the, the great uh, story ideas for time travel is do you go back in time and kill baby Hitler yeah. and you stop everything but you have to kill a baby and it's Hitler? Well, what if God killing children, all those babies that he's preventing from living – are the next Hitlers, the next Miles, the next Stalins? How do we know that that's not the case? Maybe this is the case. There's, well, we don't. There's, right? there's the, we don't the hidden the hidden assumptions right there. As <laughs> we we cry over the death of, of of all sorts of people, but maybe they're they have a greater evil that lies beyond that second of of uh, of life right before death. Yeah, yeah. So there are, as we talked about, kind of these uh, different problems for evil. And so the, the one that we covered uh, for Mackey was the logical problem of evil. Um, and so that's kind of the classical argument uh, against God from evil. And uh, as we said, that was uh, Mackey's. But uh, there are certain other ones. So uh, Alvin, uh, Alvin Plantiga, who's uh, kind of probably one of the most well-known, well-respected uh, from, from every side of uh, a Christian philosopher in our day, um, he kind of sought to answer uh, Mackey's challenge in his 1967 book, A God and Other Minds. Mm. And so it, there he reintroduces the argument representing an earlier thought of Christian thinkers like um, like uh, Augustine here. And Augustine wrote back in the 300s and the 400s. And he, uh, we called this the kind of the free will defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Plantica's argument, um, Christian tells us, has uh, proven so influential and successful that most philosophers, you know, they no longer seek, uh, seek to use the logical problem of evil in seeking to disprove the existence of God. So imagine that. So he has dealt with this problem so effectively, <laughs> right, that they have back, backed away from this logical problem. You know, the idea here is that uh, what uh, uh, Plantica shows is that it is lo- logically compatible that a good, all-powerful God can still exist with evil, right? Especially if, you know, he he is getting something good out of mm-hmm. it, right? And so Plantica shows that in his particular argument, and so people have backed away from this particular argument. Plantica is, uh, by the way, he's still around. I think he's teaching in um, in Grand Rapids at, uh, at Calvin, Calvin University, I mm, think nice. is now what it is. Yeah. yeah. So... Since they backed away from that as a result of Calvin's arguments, I'm sorry, of uh, Plantica's <laughs> arguments, uh, skeptics have moved to more modest, nuanced arguments, Christensen tells us, that um, question the probability of God's existence based on other aspects of the problem, right? And so you introduced this section by saying, you know, these are different problems of evil. So these other aspects uh, fall largely under what is called the evidential problem of evil right right so philosophers who argue against god in this fashion no longer question the coexistence of god and evil per se conceding the arguments of planting another so this kind of like uh well you either have to um take away a kind of the human responsibility or the the perception of some some sort of 
free will capacity in humans, whether it be uh, soft determinism or um, just uh, kind of a, what's called libertarian free will. Or you have to take hard determinism and say that kind of no one's responsible for their actions whatsoever. And so, well, what is evil? Evil mm-hmm. is just kind of the mechanical workings of the universe that yeah. happen. And, and we, we are predetermined to have bad feelings towards certain actions. But in here, uh, instead, they suggest that uh, there's tremendous quantities of evil in the world and it's horrendous, the therefore gratuitous nature of some evils indicate the improbability of God's existence. So, uh, okay, let's uh, grant for the uh, uh, sake of argument that kind of God exists, but there's a lot of evil. And not only is there a lot of evil, the quad- quality of evil is high. So yeah. there, it's, it's just <laughs> the, some of the worst things that you could possibly think of, we've done. All right. You know, All right. We, we've attempted to uh, eradicate large groups of people we've uh, engaged in um brutal uh infanticides we've uh, uh nuked the planet a couple times more more than once we and we've done it with with the hopes that we weren't going to burn up the atmosphere <laughs> we just crossed our fingers in, in that case uh pollution or uh, you know uh different uh, forms of just um kind of the worst ones possible and you go okay tr- try and think of something that humanity wouldn't do i'm sure you could find it somewhere in our 10,000 plus years of, yeah. of history, yeah. plus or minus. So in the, in, in the vast amount of, uh, of evil, it is suggested that there may be legitimate reasons for some evil, but pervasive evil everywhere we turn, well, this seems to count against the Christian God. Right. What, what's he doing? It's, he just seems all, all this evil is in the world and nothing seems to be done. Right, right. So there's so this is called the evidential power uh, problem of evil, right? Uh, finally, there is the... Uh, existential or emotional problem of evil, right? Sometimes called the personal or religious problem. Uh, This is where evil directly intersects our own lives, where it claws at our tender hearts, Christensen tells us, and leaves wounds that never seem to heal. It's where we all become like a a destitute Job or a a desperate David, right? Fleeing from uh, his mortal enemy Saul. Uh, It is where we wonder together with uh, you know, Ellie Wiesel, where is he? Is God hanging from the gallows or has he retreated in the eternal silence, you know, to uh, to leave our tormented souls to hang and uh, writhe in mortal agony alone, mm-hmm. right? Rational arguments, notice, and rational answers do not satisfy with this particular problem of evil, right? Because right. of the emotion, the raw emotion that it it causes and, uh, you know, how uh, in our face it is, right? Just a rational argument says, well, you know, I got a good rational argument, a logical argument for why God and evil can exist. That doesn't make it with this kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, how many times have you been talking with someone and they give you a personal experience? Yeah. Now, you know, j- just because someone has an anecdotal evidence doesn't, you know, um, um, Prove, prove the rule, maybe the exception, but overall, uh, you know, uh, if you've lived life for any sort of amount of time, you've experienced some sort of hardship, pain, suffering, loss, uh, uh, bad, something bad happening to you, and so you can relate to it. And so, uh, like when we were talking to um, Dr. Anderson uh, about uh, kind of some of his favorite um, uh, ideas for um, putting forth, uh, proving the existence of God, well, he, he goes on the opposite ends and says morality because so many people have this type of um, 
emotional charge to it. It it to to say that there's uh, no such thing as anything that's moral kind of eats at our heart. And mm-hmm. so again, the Christian worldview speaks to that, saying we're all made in the image of God, and so we kind of have that shared capacity for understanding morality because it speaks to. Uh, the the shared uh, qualities that uh, God has shared with us is a special creation. But here on the opposite end, well, we all share in the capacity to experience evil because of the fall or because uh, God allows it to happen, and he just doesn't seem to care within this, um, this type of uh, emotional argumentation. Yeah. So here's the question then. So we covered the issues. Is a theodicy still possible? Well, we still have a few more pages in our book. <laughs> so the question to ask is, what must a theodicy do? Yeah, what is it going to accomplish, right? right? That kind of thing. So a thoroughgoing theodicy must somehow address both these cognitive, like the logical uh, argumentation, and the deeply existential questions or risk falling on deaf ears. So mm-hmm. it must mm-hmm. deal with both prongs of the attack. Mm-hmm. The, the logical, it must make, you know, the logical sense, it must flow from an argumentation. And especially, why, why do we believe that on our end, too, is because logic is uh, how God thinks. And so, uh, by, even from a presuppositional point of view, um, we're going to come at it with saying that the actions of God would be logical because that is how he thinks. But we're also having to deal with the, the emotional capacity, the evidential uh, side of things here. Mm-hmm. So Greg Wetley uh, defines uh, the task of the theodicy and gives us a handle on some uh, essential criteria that should frame a faithful attempt to justify the ways of God in the face of evil. And he says this. He says, a, a theodicy has the following structure. There are, good, there are goods that God is aiming at in his universe. But because of the kinds of goods God is aiming at, he cannot get them without permitting various evils. So again, does that flow logically? Okay, yep, because it takes care of some of the, uh, is he still all good? Is he still all powerful? Does evil still exist in, in this um, in this scope or aim that we do? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can he get them without permitting various evils? Well, is he able to exist and also have a good reason, a good excuse, a logical excuse, an emotional excuse, a evidential excuse for why evil exists? And so... That's what this kind of structure does. So he is he is aiming at carrying out goods, and he can't get there without uh, permitting various evils. And so we'll cover that because that sounds like a oh this almost seems like a um, God has to kind of use the hand he's dealt with. But there's a little bit more uh, to it than than just that. Yeah, yeah. And so. Uh... Walter here uh, indicates two criteria that a faithful theodicy must meet if it's genuinely to uphold the character of God. So notice the first criteria must demonstrate that the goods that a faithful theodicy promotes are dependent on the existence of evil, right? So there are some goods that uh, cannot happen unless there are evils that that happen, right? These goods uh, come about... um, um, they can't come about unless God gives the go-ahead, as it were, for evil to take place. For example, uh, the wonder of forgiveness, right? Well, you can't have forgiveness unless someone has done something wrong towards you and then you forgive them, right? So a remarkable good, forgiveness, that could not exist unless some moral infraction, right? 
uh, preceded the extension of a uh, forgiving spirit to the perpetrator of the wrongdoing. So if God can get certain goods uh, without evil, obviously, then uh, he will. But if he, he can't, the argument here is that he allows it so that he can get certain goods. Right. So that's and the issue he's going to bring up here is this whole issue of gratuitous evil. Right. 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 Uh, So uh, this means that there can be no gratuitous evil, no matter how dreadful or evil that exists for. And that means uh, evil that exists for no good reason, no good or necessary reason. uh, He stands fast at guard, permits absolutely no evils in the world that do not contribute to his good purposes. So there's not evils just kind of floating around there that that are the uh, what is it the antecedent yeah. that doesn't have the, uh, <laughs> the 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 next part. And so th- there's no detached evil that oh it happened but it was kind of outside God's purview. He didn't really want it to happen. Uh, he's saying that no, all these evils must be attached to in some way a good, whether it's a good now or a good later down the road, mm-hmm. and. That doesn't mean that we have to know about it. Right. At so, least God has to uh, uh, have have the the purpose for it. Right. So he so he's arguing here that evil that exists isn't gratuitous. It just it's not there on its own. It's make God not happy or something or like that. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's 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 to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. Right. So he gives this example. The world came to a place during Noah's day at which evil had strained the limits set by God. Mm. So that's one. So. Uh, uh, why did the flood happen? Well, to s- prevent evil from happening. And the, one of the also goods is that it shows the uh, type of reaction God has to such evil is that he cuts it off and per- doesn't permit it from continuing on. And there is judgment. So you promised scripture. So let's, let's have one there. <laughs> right in Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord, this is during the time of Noah. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Right? And so God said, wait a minute, I, we've reached the limit. We're not going any further. And so what does he do? Well, we have a global flood. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an atheist at the, d- during that time, and I, I go, Look at all this evil around us. Why would God permit this stuff to happen? And then the judgment comes. And then I'm an atheist on the other side and said, why would God permit such a terrible thing like the flood to happen? (laughs) Well, so it's a no win for God. Which which one would you lose? There's a lot there, but uh, we're probably getting further into the (laughs) book than than that. So the same situation happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. We might say that the level of evil that poured from these depraved cities reached a point of no return, a stark line in the sand that God deemed nothing should cross. So maybe a little different than what we kind of uh, the sin city of, uh, of Las, or, uh, yeah, Las Vegas or uh, entire state. Like, I don't know. Let me pick one at random, like California or you know, <laughs> Maine, maybe if, if, uh, if, if you want to go the opposite direction. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why to pick that. Uh, so it, there's 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 a line that uh, God says uh, don't cross, and they've crossed it, and so now God comes down and judges it. Right, and so the point he's trying to make here is with regard to gratuitous evil, right? Uh, evil that exists for no good and necessary reasons. God doesn't have that kind of evil. He doesn't allow that. It is accomplishing his purposes, and when it does, when it gets to a point where it accomplishes purposes, he cuts it off, mm-hmm. right, and says no more, this is it. Right. 
So only God knows when the net moral value of any situation reaches that kind of threshold that, all right, all right, stop, stop, stop. Nope, too much. Pour it out. That threshold at which judgment must put a decisive end to the horrendous evil that is transpiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And so the next section then is... um, he says that uh, goods that are uh, weighty enough, right? He says the second matter that a theodicy must demonstrate. So not only that evil isn't gr- just being, you know, gratuitous in terms of its existence, but that uh, the goods that justify the existence of evil need to be worth it, right? right? They need to be weighty and important enough goods uh, worth pursuing, such goods must outweigh the evils that are necessitated in order to bring about these goods. Right. Mm-hmm. So the goods need to be worth it. So not a, so the evil can't be gratuitous for no reason. Right. It just happens. And, and this one and the goods that will be accomplished as a result of this non gratuitous evil must be worth it. Right. right? So those are the two uh, positions defensives that at the odyssey here is that he's working on Mm -hmm. right so so yeah your 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 car stalls out on you it makes you late for work but uh so evil but uh by you being the two minutes late you miss the the guy going through the the red light and so you live because of it okay (laughs) great so real good would would i would i take the being late or, or you know late out of the equation to to get in the car accident Probably not. So the the kind of the the equal side of the equation uh, must uh, kind of have a more net positive than the than the evil. Mm. Uh, so uh, kind of towards the end here, the defense of or theodicy is kind of um, going forward, um, looking at what, what kind of we talked about in the beginning of uh, kind of a positive claim and a negative claim. And so sometimes um, people like to use different definitions, use different words, and so uh, he goes on to um, kind of talk about this um, positive evidence and negative evidence as well. So some Christian philosophers make a distinction between a theodicy, right, the, uh, a reason for why God allows evil, right, right. and a defense. There are reasons that God allows evil. Right. So right. In the parlance, that evil and God are compatible. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and they're kind of, again, two, two, two different avenues, two prongs, but right. it's still kind of, uh, they'll probably overlap, but they'll, they have different reasons for existing. So in the parlance of philosophical discussions, the theodicy, technically speaking, is a positive case explaining why God allows, like, doesn't prevent or uh, decrees evil in the world. It outlines precisely what God, uh, what what good and sufficient reasons God has for doing whatever he's doing that evil is allowed to exist. Right. And on the other hand, the defense seeks to answer charges brought up against God in the light of evil, namely how God can be uh, exonerated from the charges that he is less than God in the face of evil or that he is culpable, right, that is blamable uh, for evil in some way. So it merely seeks to show, notice, that broadly speaking, this is the defense, uh, there is no logical inconsistency between the existence of God and the existence of evil, right? So the, uh, the theodicy attempts to explain why God allows evil. The defense just shows there's no logical consistency between the existence of God and the existence of evil. Many believe that a defense, uh, defense, therefore, carries a lighter burden than a theodicy, right? Uh, but that's not always satisfying, right. right? We got a logical defense, yeah, but, you know, I'm going through this suffering, right? Uh, 
So the problem with a mere defense is that it seems to, uh, he tells us, weasel out of the hard questions that people face, right? Right. And so, again, it, it depends on the question uh, kind of going into it, especially especially if you're doing kind of a formal debate. That formal debate is really going to say, you know, if, if you have the question is resolve, um, there, there is no good reason for the Holocaust. Okay, well, then there, the, the positive claim by the other opponent is, I'm, I have to provide um, all the reasons why that, that to be the case, that there is no good reason. That, I would say that takes a lot to do even oh, from yeah. it. You're almost proving the negative in, yeah. in that capacity. Yeah, really. So all I have to do coming into it is argue either against all your positions or give you one good reason for why it could be the case and I can win, win the debate. But winning the debate is not always winning the audience, and so that's why uh, um, Christensen, I think, has probably more focused on the theodicy part of things. Now, it could be that some uh, uncertainty exists about God's reasons for uh, purposing or permitting evil. Perhaps the Bible is altogether silent on the question. I hope to, uh, he says, he hopes to argue later that the Bible is not silent, and we'd probably agree with him there, (laughs) but we should not be presumptuous. He says he believes that the the Bible makes the case for a broad, all-encompassing theodicy, but this doesn't mean that such a theodicy answers every question that arises, especially when it comes to specific instances of evil. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're saying, well, why did the flood happen? Okay, we could probably point to Scripture, the revealed will of God to say, Here's the reasons why the flood occurred, and uh, say it wasn't gratuitous evil, and also that it um, the, the the greater good outweighed the evil. And so we could probably make the case for that from God's revealed will. But something like, why did I stub my toe today of all days when I didn't want my toe to hurt? Well, I'm going to have a harder time like pointing to you to a reason because maybe. 22 years down the line, you're going to remember that corner of that house that you're like, oh, I stubbed my toe on. And you uh, are, need to, to run to save a, a burning uh, bus full of nuns and, and you need to put it out and you not having stubbed toes will help you do That's that. That's right. You avoid the stubbed toes. So there, right? 22 years later is, is how I can point to you, but I can't point to, to you the next day. Right. Because I have to wait 22 years. Oh, <laughs> make it so hard on me to to prove the existence of good and evil. Right, and so he says here, and wrapping up this particular chapter, he says, uh, in either case, the response to evil, that is, uh, you know, the defense or the the theodicy, to be explored, he says, in the coming chapters of his book, he's going to use the term theodicy and defense uh, somewhat loosely and interchangeable, right? Furthermore, few theodicists look to a single defense or a theodicy to address the problem of evil, right? Some uh, response, responses target uh, particular aspects of the problem that others seem inadequate to deal with. So he tells us that a theodicy is not required, as you have mentioned here, to answer every question in order to be true or useful. This means that not all responses are mutually exclusive, right? They don't exclude one another. And he says that many apologists champion a cumulative approach where they use many different arguments, right, theodicies. And he says there's nothing wrong with this as long as one theodicy does not contradict what another one says, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I probably would put another stipulation on there is uh, if, if it's, at, at the at the very least, not explicitly denied in Scripture, 
but probably the, the best one is that it's supported with scripture mm-hmm. uh, because we're making not just a general case for a general God. We're making a specific case for a specific God and that's the God of the Bible. So yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure Christensen had that in mind when he talked about <laughs> this. I, I just thought yeah, maybe needs a, an extra little commentary on there. So, um, so yeah, uh, that's it for chapter four. We did it in one episode. Great. Uh, so chapter five is going to be kind of continuing on that, uh, talking about free will. And the great thing about uh, continuing the discussion on free will is that uh, uh, Pastor Christensen has written a book on free will. So mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll see, uh, even though we don't need to read it, uh, but if you wanted to watch the, the, the interview, you could uh, about it. It was a great book and a great interview. It was our first one. Uh, and we'll see um, kind of points uh, in that in the next chapter, in chapter five. Yeah, so he's gonna say, he says we'll now turn to the most common responses to evil. And, of course, that's the, right. the free will defense, right? Might, so. might, uh, might have some surprising twists and turns in there. So, <laughs> so join us ne- back next time uh, for uh, figuring out uh, how free will fits into the problem of evil. Have a good day. We'll see you next time.